You are listening to the Paranormal Chronicles radio show. Here is your host, paranormal researcher and author of the best-selling A Most Hunted House, Gavin Lee Davis. Welcome. My name is GL Davis, founder of theparanormalchronicles.com and author of the worldwide bestseller, Dare You Read, Haunted Horror of Haverford West, Alone in Bed at Night. Wherever you are in the world, I do hope you are keeping safe as I send my love to you from beautiful Pembrokeshire, West Wales. Tonight's show is like no other. Please listen out for a variety of strange noises, bumps, whispers and possibly an EVP. This is what happens when the survivors of two prolific hauntings get together. This is not hype, this is strange. Share to your friends and local paranormal investigators to see what they can pick up on. The Paranormal Chronicles podcast series brought to you by sick-books.com. So visit sick-books.com today and start your paranormal reading adventure. If this is your first time listening, then please follow so you never miss an episode. Plus, all followers get entered into a followers monthly prize draw to win a fantastic book from sick-books.com. Press follow now, download and listen to our huge archive of amazing content. Big news for us, we are now on Patreon. Become a VIP today and access ad-free and early access episodes. Have extra draws in the book giveaway. Access to digital content. Be part of an exclusive VIP Amazon prize draw. And get this, you get two free digital books. And one of them, it's my controversial bestseller, Go Sex, The Violation. All of that for a free pound or dollar subscription. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. That's patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. Go VIP today. Final announcement before we get on with this incredible show. I am thrilled and honoured to announce that my fourth book is set for release. Harvest, the true story of alien abduction, is ready for pre-order. Release date, Halloween 2020. Pre-order Harvest, the true story of alien abduction by me, GL Davis, today from wherever books are sold on tonight's show. Is the Bothell Hell House the most prolific and well-documented haunting in history? What drove author Keith Linder to the brink of insanity? Who or what set fire to his Bibles, his belongings and even to himself? What happened when Ghost Adventures investigated the house? And what did scientific analysis conclude? How did this compare to my own experience documented in Haunted Horror of Haverford West? This is a haunting like no other as I sit with Keith Linder, author the Bothell Hell House, poltergeist of Washington State, who gives an in-depth discussion on his terrifying experience. Plus, what was happening to us while we were conducting the interview? Did we capture an EVP around the 28-minute mark? We're talking about David Schrader. What was happening at the 1 hour and 15 mark? And how many odd bumps, groans, growls will you hear during this incredible interview? Why was my equipment experiencing odd tech issues? So please listen and document what you hear and get in touch and let me know what you are hearing and what you think's going on. This is berserk. On with the show. Keith, how did all of this start? Oh, wow. Uh, good question. It's, I mean, it sounds sort of cliche and Hollywood-esque, but it's the truth. It started on day one of me and my then-girlfriend, Tina, uh, May of 2012, May 1st, matter of fact. 
we drove. It was a nice spring day in the United States in northern Seattle. We drove to this lovely neighborhood, this lovely home, to sign the leasing papers, get the paperwork, get the keys to the home because we're moving in. And uh, we get there, walk into the home, meet the the owner, shake hands, sign paper, and it's all you know congratulatory this, congratulatory that. So he leaves, and then it's just me and Tina. We have no children. It's a two-story home. It's a, it's a single unit. And there we are sitting on the uh, living room floor, just talking like most couples do about the empty house, like what furniture is going to go where, uh, which bedroom is going to be my office, which bedrooms are going to be Tina's extra closet, which is all of them. <laughs> and so, yeah, so we're just lollygagging, very lighthearted conversation. And I kid you not, pretty loud, mind you, out of the blue was this kid cough and it was very distinct and i looked at tina she looked at me because we both said it at the same time we like is that a kid cough and it sounded like it came from upstairs it was very loud you know when you're in an empty house there's no furniture no power running into the home sounds can bounce off walls relatively easy and you hear it and uh we looked and sort of glanced but we never left where we were sitting. We just sort of like, okay, that that's weird. All the windows are closed. Uh, but we didn't give it any other thought. We must, I think we talked about it for like five minutes. And then just left it alone. Fast forward about two weeks. Now we're moving in officially. We're getting settled. And I noticed my extra set that I never used, by the way, car fob, was missing. I kept it in a um, little compartment glove box and I walked it over from my other apartment to this new place and I went rummaging for something else and I noticed that was missing I was like ah I lost my key my car keys so I left that alone that was kind of weird and then Tina at the same time is coming to me with her lost item stories of her jewelry is missing she can't find her bracelet her watch her earring so she's asking me have I seen them I'm telling her no. And then we both felt that was odd. And then also our kitchen silverware, uh, we started notice was depleting. Not outright missing early on, but we found ourselves, you know, you go reach for a fork or a knife during supper and you're like, you're searching for one now. Or they're all in the dishwasher. And you're like, I thought we had more knives than this. Or I thought we had more forks than this. But you grab one and you don't think anything of it. But it is in itself interesting. Then the moment of truth, and I talk about this in my first book, the moment of truth, what I call the self-realization, and everybody goes through this with an experience like this, you finally come to the point where you just can't deny it anymore and the spirits are probably getting bored with you for not figuring it out sooner <laughs> they want to help you out a little bit so me and tina are watching a movie one night we're, we're sitting down it's a week night i went to watch a movie on netflix and um tina has this four foot tall plant it's an ivory plant sitting next to the entertainment center and as we're watching tv the plant just darts up in the air and and, and i kid you not when i say darts up very abruptly, very quick, fast, and it does a 360-degree spin and then falls back to the ground. Me and Tina, once again, sitting shoulder to shoulder, saw it. And we're like, okay, 
There was, there's no earthquake. The house is not shaking. Even if it was, plants don't vertically leap up. And this plant did, but it fell over. We got it from the couch, walked over, and we thought we were being pranked or joked. We thought this was a prank that either the homeowner was doing or a former tenant or we, not been knowing ourselves, had moved into a house that was sort of like a TV show or something. Yeah, yeah. Now they're going to come out of the closet and balloons are going to fall out of the sky and everybody's going to be like, ha, 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 you guys are being filmed or for a new pilot or something or whatever. So we went to the plant not to think, we weren't thinking ghosts, not yet, not quite. We were looking for the wires. We were looking for the remote control device, the electronic anything that would give indication that, okay, this has got to be a joke. And then finally, when I was rummaging through the leaves and I didn't find any of that stuff, then I looked at Tina. She looked at me, and I think one of us said, I think we have a kid ghost. Because now we rewinded back in our head the kid cough and the missing items. And the Internet helped us out. That night, we, me and Tina went up to the my office and Googled, how can you tell if your house is haunted? Because we didn't know, and we went and you know, we want to see the tall tale signs of how do you know your house is on what are the characteristics that you need to look for. And about five different websites all said the same thing. Phantom noises, items disappearing, particularly jewelry, particularly silverware, uh, kid cough, you know, yeah. and, and things like that, strange noises. And we were like, oh, man, we got a kid ghost. And we thought it was light, lighthearted, like, okay. Maybe Casper the Friendly Ghost. Because up until now, nothing malevolent has happened yet. It's just all very low-key, level one phenomena, what I call it. And it's said on the internet that, yeah, spirits sometimes wander. Kid ghosts specifically get confused. They may get lost. If you have one, no big deal. Just, you know, sort of talk gingerly to it. Sort of put on your parental hat. And tell it, you know, ask it questions of why it's here, what does it want, can you leave us alone, go into the light, stuff like that, generic stuff. And we did. And we we, we followed the instructions given. It seemed innocent. Why not? Um, but we got the adverse effect, you know. We ask it, why are you here? And keep in mind, we're, when we say ask why is here, we're looking up at the ceiling in whatever room we're in. We don't know where this thing is. We just talk. <laughs> Me and Tina, <laughs> you know, you got to find a, a, a place to focus your energy, I guess. So we're just talking. And then the response is boom, 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 you know. And I look at Tina like, well, the Internet didn't say that. Reaction. <laughs> okay, did we do that right? Did we ask that? So we can go back and read it like, okay, all right. So I mean, let me ask nicer. And then you would ask it nicer, slower, same thing, boom, boom, boom. Or you would ask it questions or tell it to quiet it down. And then a flower pot would go flying behind you, something that zoomed behind you, and you hear the crash, crash. And you turn around because you see it out the corner of your eye. You're like, whoa, 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 what was that? And they almost hit you. They really almost, they really do almost hit you. And they obliterate upon impact on the wall. And then they were all Tina's plants, and they all died in the Bothell house, but because they all got thrown. And then you're like, oh, that's not friendly. I, I don't know. Is that is that still considered friendly? And then the Internet, once again, 
hey, sometimes they're stubborn. Sometimes they can get a little bit of an attitude. Sometimes, you know, it takes time. Just be steadfast and be committed. You and Tina got to be committed on getting these things out of here. And we tried. We tried everything under the sun. At that time when objects started flying in front of us and in front of our friends, our friends uh, saw phenomena as well because we had a housewarming party. But, yeah, overall, that was the beginning, what is now known as the Bothell Hell House. So can I ask, had you had any previous paranormal activity in your life prior to this? No, no, not. And I've searched long in my memory banks trying to pull out one iota because I get asked this question a lot of anything. You know, did I visit a haunted house when I was a kid? You know, we've never played with Ouija boards, you know, growing up. That was just forbidden. I had kids, I'm our friends who said, let's bring out the Ouija board. And me and my brother, we just up and leave because our parents were not like that. We were raised devout Christians in Texas. So we would never anywhere remotely into the paranormal, even when I grew up and left home. Uh, no, I was too busy in Star Wars, Star Trek, and IT stuff to look <laughs> at the paranormal. Uh, but I like a good ghost story every now and then. I mean, Halloween come around, I like a good ghost story, but that's not paranormal. No, and even in my place of residence that I lived before the Bothell House, um, a lot of people don't know that Tina and I were, had been together two years already. She had her own place, I had mine. The whole spill of us moving in together is because we've been together over two years. I had just taken on a wonderful job promotion career move, and I wanted to take our relationship to the next level because we moved almost near the anniversary of our two years. So it just seemed like, okay, got this new job, got more money, got this girl, we're together two years. Yeah, let's, let's move in under one roof. My lease expired, her lease expired. So it just seemed like the right thing to do. So no, nothing on my end or her end. And we and we, and we looked hard, long and hard for that, but we couldn't find anything. From personal experience, which is well documented in Haunted Horror of Haverford West, um, what I'd like to do is, because I want to talk about your experience on this show, is I think that. On a later episode, me and you need to sit down and compare notes, maybe bring someone like John Fraser in, you know, to try and help us understand what is happening to us. Because what happened to you and happened to me is so eerily similar. It's giving me goosebumps. That is why I am very interested in your experience, because it's happened to me. So people who've read Haunted Horror of Halford West knows what the house does for relationships. So how did it affect your relationship with Tina? It, it affected me and Tina in a dramatic way in the sense of when me and Tina moved into this house, uh, we were on cloud nine as a couple. Yeah, we had problems, but every couple has problems, but they were worked through problems. And we were on cloud nine. It had a beautiful home. And one thing I've noticed, especially for us, and this might be true for you and others out there, um, and, and I'll just say Portuguese for, for sake of argument, they seem to know that our level of naivete, because we were very naive, you know, and they're going to exploit us. They're going to divide and conquer. And we did not know that. And by the time we knew that, it's almost too late to course correct, because now we're in the home. We're getting bombarded with activity. And Tina would have episodes where phenomena would break out around her. Either I'm not in the home and she's by herself and I would have phenomena sometimes when she's not at home like the poster when it caught fire Tina just went to work 
And then we're like trying to get people to help us. We're calling organizations, churches, and we're getting the runaround. And that in itself is frustrating. Or we're forgetting, like I would call Tina during my lunch break at work. Or, or when we got home and asked her, hey, did you call father or so-and-so? Oh, I forgot. I forgot. I, I, I lost track of time at work. I'm so sorry. And I would be upset because that's another day lost and vice versa. So the spirits I noticed were behind a lot of that. They would hang up when me and Tina are talking heavily engaged about the phenomena on our cell phones. And they would hang up the phone or we're having a disagreement. And they would hang it up, and then that just escalates this even more because Tina thought I hung up on her. I didn't. I call it back. Now it's going straight to busy, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Or she's being attacked in the house, and she's calling me, but my phone is going straight to voicemail. When I told when I told her I was going to be somewhere, I would answer on the first dial. That didn't happen. So she's upset twice now. Number one, she was just attacked. And number two, she couldn't reach me right away. Therefore, the question no longer is, I was attacked while you were not here. The question is, how can you answer my call when I called you? And the spirits eat that up, and they're behind every minute of it. So we get tired. You get tired. You're worn down. There's several chapters in my, when the first Bible caught fire, me and Tina were asleep. We were asleep, and the fire alarms start ringing, and then... Almost, let's see, late that summer, fall of 2014, when my computer monitors caught fire, me and Tina were sleeping in separate bedrooms now. We were more like friends sharing the same home because that's how bad our relationship had deteriorated. You know, she had a, she was now in the guest room. And then I remember when my computer monitors caught fire, I'm running out of my room. She's running out of her room. And we're both frantically trying to put this fire out. And I'm telling you, you put it out and it reignites on its own as soon as your back is turned. It's like, woof, you know, and it just really drains. Just a long story short, um, yeah, the casualty, one of the casualties is two major casualties uh, from the Bothell House. One is me and Tina's relationship. So can I ask in regards to the Bible, are you a religious person? Would you say you're a religious person or is it just something you have in the house? This incredible interview continues after these important messages. Is the poltergeist syndrome the only type of paranormal phenomena that can really be proven? Read Poltergeist, a new investigation into destructive haunting today. Available on e-reader and wherever books are sold. Visit www.sixth-books.com for more information. Become the alchemist of your world. In The Secret of the Alchemist, Column Holland reveals how you can discover the power to miraculously change the world around you beyond all recognition and for the better. Colm will tell you the story of his encounter with Paolo Coelho and his best-selling book, The Alchemist, and how discovering the secret gave him the insights to achieve true empowerment in his life and how you can too. Read The Secret of the Alchemist today. Available from wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com to learn how you too can become the alchemist of your life.
This is Jason Bland, host of Midwest Paranormal Presents Paranormal Soup, where we stream live as a webcast every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, with guests who will blow your mind. Live ghost box sessions where you can call into the show to see if the spirits will talk to you. And the World Wide Web of Weird, with the latest in paranormal news and evidence. We're bringing the weird every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. Paranormal entities assaulting us. Ghost sex, the violation, is the best-selling true account and study of paranormal sexual abuse. Ghost sex, the violation by G.L. Davis is available on Kindle and through Amazon. Pray this never happens to you. What if the after-effects of a near-death experience were undeniable? What if a person could suddenly produce high-quality paintings of the afterlife, or if they acquired the ability to compose classical symphonies? Read Shine On. The remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. Read Shine On today on e-readers and wherever books are sold. Visit www.o-books.com today. Does Genesis teach that the human race was created by God or engineered by ETs? Read Escaping from Eden. Today, from wherever books are sold. GL here, and before we get back to the interview, did you know you can listen to this podcast not only ad-free, but with early VIP access as a TPC VIP Patreon. As a VIP, you will get two digital books, including my bestseller, Go Sex the Violation, to keep and read, plus digital content, two extra draws in our follower monthly book giveaway, and exclusive entry into a VIP Amazon gift voucher draw. This is the spooky part. All of that is just £3 or $3 to go VIP. So go VIP today so you don't hear ads like this again. Head over to www.patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. That's patreon.com forward slash TPC VIP. On with the show. I would say I'm spiritual. The reason why I, I, I had three Bibles when we moved into the house, and these were Bibles that I had acquired when I was in college, and I had them a long time. And it was just always something that fascinated me about different translations of the same Bible. And it was several courses that I took while in college. Therefore, I had these Bibles, and, then, and quite honestly, I don't think I've, I've read them since I left college, but I kept them. And... Uh, I put them in my closet in my office, sort of like a mini mock library with other books, IT books and all that. So when the Catholic Church and other churches, you name it, we called them, all said, hey, you have to or you might want to display your religious belief openly. You know, if you have any religious paraphernalia in the home, you, you want to display that. You want to set boundaries for the spirits and, get, and, and let them get the mindset. Um, so, yeah, I, I was a Christian, but I was not a devout Christian, but I, I was a Christian. So I put these Bibles out one by one, and I had three, and the spirits took all three or, or burnt all three. And then the first Bible, it took, it took the summer of 2012, and it went missing for a whole year, almost a year and a half it went missing. And when it came back, it came back spring of 2014 
and like I said, it was uh, it was like one thirty four a.m. in the night, and me and Tina we had a huge poltergeist attack that day uh, earlier, and the paranormal team came in and stayed with us stayed with us for about eleven hours, but they're gone now. And then we woke up to the fire alarms going off, and uh, there's a good reenactment video of that on my YouTube of how that scene played out. And lo and behold, they're on the floor at the doorway of our bedroom is that Bible that's been missing for almost a year and a half, and it's on fire. I mean, there's flames on this book dancing all around. I didn't know it was the Bible at the time until I closed it. When I put the fire out, I closed the book with my foot. And I remember I said, Tina, this is the Bible that went missing. This, this is it. So, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier, where was the Bible the, the whole year and a half? Where was it at? It wasn't in my and Tina's I view it wasn't anywhere in the house. I don't even think it was in the cavities of the house. It's a very powerful message that you were sent by whatever was doing this, you know, using the Bible as a focus to show its power. You know, that is a serious, scary message that you were being shown there. In your fantastic documentation of this in the Bothell Hell House, Poltergeist of Washington State, you describe many, many examples of this activity this paranormal activity you know i want people to go and read the book could you give us a few examples you know we've had the bible is there a few other things you could tell us upon that made you think wow this is really really bad this is really serious some of the i guess once again moment of truth or moment of danger what i would call it that defied my all reason and my upbringing was the poster fire uh i had a poster in my office and Tina had just left for work. I'm taking a shower, and this is a few few days after the box, uh, after the Bible caught fire. And um, Tina had smudged the night before, so the house smelled very much like sage. So I'm in the shower. I get out. The fire alarms are ringing, and I'm I'm clued in now to know that's not good. And I don't, I don't mean like typical fire that we all might experience or hope to never experience i mean this is them they're here this is them doing this i run out of my master bedroom and i kid you not and i will probably go to the grave and i will always tell this story the same way and i remember like it happened yesterday i stepped into the landing right outside my master bedroom or before i stepped out i felt a presence run past me it's coming from my office and it's darting down the stairs and when it goes past me i can feel the density of it the weight of it like a large invisible mass okay and it's thundering down the step my steps are you hear something thundering down the steps and i got a two level spiral step and then because on my landing, you can see clear to my front door. And whatever thunders down, pitter-pats, and then the front door opens wide by itself. Wide, you know, and then slams shut by itself. Me, because I've tried duplicated or tried to duplicate this to, to understand the intensity level, I have never been able to slam my door purposely as loud as what I just saw. I don't even come close. It's not, even, it's not even close. And, and I'm a big guy. I'm a strong guy. And I've tried without shattering my windows, slamming the door. So then I, more running on instinct, 
run down the stairs. Keep in mind, I just came out the shower, and I got a towel around me, and I try to open the door, the front door. I'm thinking, was there an intruder in the home, an arsonist, or, or whatever, vandalism, whatever? And the front door would not budge. It would not even smidgenly budge. I got the knob. It's unlocked. I'm turning. It was open two seconds ago, and I can't open it. And I and I tell people it was like ten elephants were sitting on that door, and I could not move it for nothing. Then I realized, oh, you still got a fire to deal with. Cause smoke is filling up the house. You still got a fire. So I dart back upstairs, and my poster is on fire. Flame, flame on. Poster, flame on. It's on fire. I throw my damp towel on it and put it out. Fire is out. Good. Now I got to get the smoke out of the house. I run back downstairs, try to open up the front door again, and the fire alarms are still ringing because there's so much smoke in the home, and I'm in panic mode, and I can't get the front door open. I then said to myself, and I remember this, I said, Keith, the house is not under attack. You are. And I remember I called 911. I called 911 for emergency. And I said, 911, I need the fire department. I need a fire. There's a fire at Keith Leonard's address. And she says, what's your address? And I kid you not, every time I gave her my address, the phone would break up, the static. Every time I would get to the number, it would go, it just breaks it. Sir, I can't hear you. You're breaking I can't. It took us three tries to, to do that, three tries. Hung up with her. Called Tina. This is about three, four minutes of passing. I said, Tina, turn back around. I'm under attack. The house is under attack. I didn't even hear. For, I didn't even wait for Tina to respond. I just went click, and the fire department came in. Minutes later, Tina came in. Soon after them, and Tina and I and I believe she said you was. I was shaking like a leaf. I was shaking like a fig leaf, like a wet puppy. And she had to throw blankets on top of blankets on top of me. The fire, they rushed upstairs. Fire's already out. It's a poster. It's weird. They don't know how a poster catch fire on its own. It's kind of weird, but good job, Keith. You put the fire out, you know. And that was it. And that 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 experience let me know the level of unseen danger because they had me. They, they had me dead to rights. And you have to think, they're watching all this unfold. So they got paid dividends with my reaction. Yeah, you were running around naked at one stage. They made you very vulnerable. Yeah, vulnerable, confused, exposed, overcompensating. Yeah, because I remember when our computer monitors caught fire, the first thing we wanted to do was almost throw a bucket of water on there. Then I realized, like, no, this is electrical equipment. We throw water on these computer monitors. We're going to go up in flames. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they know that, and they're, they're, there's... They're watching, and oh man, I, I was just done. I was just man. I was in a horrible state when the fire department left because my poster in my room looks like a mess. It looks like whoa. And what was the poster, Keith? Just out of curiosity. Uh, it was a Final Fantasy uh, poster that I, I'm a gamer, so it was a Final Fantasy VII Advent Children poster collector's item that I never. How could dare play. they! How dare they, Keith? That is a fantastic game. How could they do that? <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, I oh, know. I've been trying to find that poster ever since, but that's what they do. That's just what they do to show you, you know, that they can't do it. Like, hey, this is what we do, Keith. 
we can do this all day. And a lot of people don't understand this, you know, different stories of poltergeist phenomena. But when you start dealing with fire, when you have a spirit that goes to that level, you know, see, people don't understand because this, it's all I only broadcast this in my book or when asked. My clothes caught on fire before. As you get deeper into my book and as the cloud above our house gets darker and darker and me and Tina are starting to hate each other, I become more focused on being attacked. And one episode, they set my clothes on fire. I mean, you, 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 you don't know reality until you turn mm. around and the clothing that you're wearing is on fire. And you move at the speed of light to get out of them. You know, because you, you, you don't have that much room for error when it comes to clothing on fire. That's a very personal attack. Very terrifying. Now, how did this become mainstream news? Did you go and seek help? Did someone come in? Did someone betray your trust? Did you go out there hoping that if we can get this in the media, we might get the right help? How did that come around? Yeah, it was, it was just to get the right help because... You know, the world, I should say the world came wind of our case uh, two years after the fact that me and Tina already experienced it. The world caught wind of our case October 2014. And right then we were working with local churches, mainly the local Catholic church in Bothell. And they were just hush-hush working with us, but they were not consistent. And everybody in other paranormal teams were pretty much at their wits end about this crazy house in Bothell. So... I remember I was looking online and I was seeing sort of similar phenomena throughout the world and resources. And I said, all the stuff that's happening in our house, it has to be important to somebody. There's somebody, there's always one person out there. Either they're giving lectures or somewhere or they're retired or whatever. There's somebody, this is going to go by them and they're going to recognize it like I'm on my way. They're on my way. Stop what you're doing. I'm on my way. I'll be on the next plane. So I contacted, and me and my neighbor uh, to my right of me contacted uh, Como News and sent them pictures of the burnt Bibles. And, of course, they came running. And that's what got the story out there into the mainstream and attracted uh, the Travel Channel, Ghost Adventures, and all that. Because the, the reporter, having witnessed phenomena herself, I don't know if you've ever seen that interview the link is in my book. Uh, Lisa Jaffe, she's the Como News reporter. And I knew, you know, because reporters are really there for a story. They don't really care. Whatever, do your house is fine or whatever. Okay, well, we're just here to do a story. But when she witnessed phenomena herself, and you can see her reaction in the interview with me. She's asking me questions, and all of a sudden she hears this loud boom, boom. And she's like, and I'm sitting on the couch, and there's nobody else in the house but me and her and the camera guy. Nobody else in the house. This is not house noise. And she's asking me questions about the Bibles and all that. So she's just there for a story. But when she heard the boom, she was like, what was that? I'm like, that's what I've been talking about the last 10 minutes. That's, yeah, that's it. And they got out of there. She's like, okay, that's a wrap. We're, we're done. We got <laughs> enough right here. We got enough of this. Yeah. <laughs> she's looking at the camera guy. Like, yeah, we got enough. We got enough. We got enough real. So, and she, I remember she, she was shaken by that. She was shaken by, she told me upon leaving that she would get um, uh, Dave Schrader and Dave Schrader would reach out to uh, Ghost Adventures 
and uh, let them know about the situation. So that's how I got into the mainstream. Dave Schrader is an awesome, awesome guy. I'm very, I'm very honored, very humbled, but I've got to uh, speak to him a number of times. And if Dave Schrader's listening tonight, look after yourself. So Ghost Adventures came in, and how did that go for you? Uh, not so good. Uh, it was not the, um, I guess the fallout from that was almost worse than the Portuguese experience itself in the sense of um, Ghost Adventures came, including, I met Dave. Dave came, Dave, Dave has been in the house. Um, Dave came with came with them. And they uh, did their investigation. Uh, but they were there for a short period of time and therefore did not get any evidence. Um, and then the paranormal, a percentage, a sizable percentage of the paranormal community, based on that episode, I don't know if you've seen it, Demons in Seattle, uh, on Travel Channel, and they did a revisit uh, last week, uh, Demons in Seattle Decoded, of that episode and that investigation of them leaving with no evidence. I mean, the whole moniker of Ghost Adventures, to my knowledge and what people told me, is they always find stuff no matter where, where they go. Where our house, they didn't find anything. And uh, the paranormal community leaped to the conclusion, and I never understand why, of, oh, you and Tina faked it. The reason why the Ghost Adventures didn't get anything is because y'all were faking it. And that was not the case. And therefore, the fallout was huge in the sense of people that were entertaining, helping us, um, backed off. They, they didn't, they were sort of caught uh, between maintaining friendship with Ghost Adventures or there's nothing there. Zach came in, saw, didn't conquer, didn't see anything. Uh, it sounds too good to be true. That's one of the hugest, the biggest roadblocks I've been running into with this case is people always say it's too much phenomena for one person or one family to experience. There's no way you and Tina could survive. If everything you said, Keith, happened the way you said, there's no way. And I'm like, Yes way, there yes way. I'm alive. I'm, I'm telling you, there is. I'm, I'm proof that the, I survived. I didn't like surviving it, but I'm not going to pull punches. Um, three Bibles did catch fire. Um, you know, one is enough for me, but three caught fire. Uh, two are still missing uh, to this day. So uh, yeah, there was the, the, the response um, from naysayers and skeptics and cynics uh, or, or fans of the show, I should say is it just seems too far-fetched to believe, and it was a huge fallout. T Tina took most of the brunt of that than me, and uh, that played a role also in, in, our, in our breakup, that, that fallout from that episode. That's such a shame because when I conducted my investigation into the home that was featured in my second book, Go Sex, a Violation, which was about a woman who claimed to be paranormally sexually abused, in, in Pembroke Dock, witnessed by her son, by her mother, very similar to the Doris Biver case in The Entity. I went down, I spent time with her, with a female psychologist, and we had access to the house for a week. And we set everything up, as you do. You stay there, you're terrified the first couple of nights, and nothing happened. Yeah. Now, it's a very small window to look into when you've been living here for years, and all these accounts, when you put them all together in a compressed, it's like, oh, my God, that's insane. That's very, you know, are you a fantasist? But it's not like that. It'll be quiet for months and months. 
And these hauntings, as I've experienced in my own personal encounters, is they, pardon my French, but they fuck with you because they make you think it's gone and it'll be quiet for a month, maybe two months, and then, bump, it comes back with so much intense energy that it's yeah. terrifying. Don't know how long Ghost Adventures were there. You know, you, they can't discount your experiences on the fact they found nothing in the time frame they were in. Yeah, and, and what people don't understand is um, we did not have any activity 2013. Remember, I told you, we moved in May of 2012 and had activity probably up until about November or December of 2012. And right when we were about to throw in the towel, because we were like, man, this, this not, it's, not, it's not working the way we thought it would, talking about the house, it stopped. The activity stopped, came to a full stop. And we were like, oh, because some of the advice given was these things run their course and they stop. However, there's a caveat to that. If it comes back, it's going to be worse than before. And we didn't look a gift horse in the mouth, so we were like, there's no activity. Tina was trying to put it behind her. Me, I always still felt that something was there. And then you're right, January, um, let's see, about March or April of 2014, it came back. And when it came back, it didn't yeah. levitate a plant. It threw an armoire in the hallway. And we were asleep at the time when it did. And so there was no reaction or energy that we were giving out to my knowledge because we were asleep, sound asleep, peaceful, and no warning whatsoever. You just hear like a loud crash. And, and they're back. And trust me, when they're back, every every day after that, they, they, they make up for lost time. They start off at level five. They don't start up, you know, subtly anymore. And so we have to start calling people we were calling a year ago. Say, hey, they're back. They're doing it. Okay, all hands on deck. Let's do it again. And um, so, yeah, so a year of no activity. And Ghost of Vicious, from their investigation was only five hours. So five hours is is, is nothing. <laughs> and, um, I mean, that's nothing. We've had, I mean, we We've not had activity some days during the day, at night, or a week. You know, the priest the priest comes in, blesses the home, hosts communion or something. That would usually give me and Tina three days peace. Three days, four days peace. And then when it wears off, and, and we all know this, the priest says, hey, this, it's going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Call us back, we'll come back. we got to keep throwing this thing, throwing our stuff at it. And we knew that. What we didn't know of is... If it goes or docile while you're here, I mean, you're the investigator, that it's our fault. Like, how is that our fault? The poltergeist is not performing in front of you because, believe it or not, that's their whole game anyway. It's not to perform in front of you because they want you to think we're falsifying stuff. Y'all leave. The activity returns. We call y'all again, and y'all less reluctant to come back. So you see how that whole psychology thing works, but we got the short end of the stick of, nah, it's too good, it's good to be true. It's no, 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 no. So, yeah. It's very difficult living in this environment because 
you're questioning your own psychology, you're questioning your partner, you're questioning yourself. What if I'm doing this? You know, what if I'm not aware of what I'm doing? What's going on? And I found from my own experience, which was documented in Haunted Horror of Haverford West, you know, probably similar to Bofell, Hell House, Poltergeist of Washington State book, is that it's so hard, like something very simple, like being intimate with your partner is very difficult because you're like, is there something in the room? Is it going to do something while I'm being intimate with my partner? Going to the shower was difficult, especially for the girl uh, who I lived with. She was terrified. You sat on the toilet because you got to go to the toilet and you're just yeah. terrified to the extent that I started going to the loo and work. I was too terrified to go and use the loo at home. And then me and my partner, we started like taking showers together, not in a sexy, romantic way. She said, I need the loo. Can you stand by the door? I'm going to have a shower. Can you sit on the toilet? Not like that, but can you sit on the toilet and like guard me? And it puts a humongous strain on you. These things, they feed, they thrive off that confusion, that negative energy. That is why they they seep into our world is to thrive, to feed off us. They're like parasites, right? And all that negative energy, when you and your partner were arguing, when you and Tina were rowing and fighting, it's almost like that thing's just there, just feeding it, lapping it all in, laughing, like, this is great, keep it, keep it going. Keep, keep it, it going, keep it going, keep it going. And you're right, we have protocols, uh, me and Tina, and Tina, like your your girlfriend, um, didn't want to take showers, because before, she's had the door slammed on her while taking a shower, she's had the lights go off and the door slam, and you, know, and you never can open it up right away, it's like a cement shut. So she's screaming frantically. I'm on the other side trying to pry the door open with a butter knife. Um, or she's taking a bath and the same thing. Uh, something gets thrown inside. And people don't understand that that level of haunting or attack. Me, I've had uh, Bibles thrown at me while taking a shower. I've had lights go off and the door slam. I've had chef knives thrown at me. Chef knives at, at me. Beer bottles, glass, glass candles. These things, when they travel at immense speeds... Uh, can hurt you, and when they miss you, they make a lot of a lot of noise. Uh, the concussion sounds. Um, I still, even to this day, uh, have a little bit of post traumatic stress in regards to I don't like loud noises anymore. Um, I, I, I can't deal with fireworks. Fourth of July, I hate it now because the fireworks and in Seattle, it goes on through all throughout the night, the popping, the bangs, and all that. That was my house for three years, you know, and so I hear all that stuff. And it wears you and your partner down, and they're instigating in between that stuff for their benefit, like you said, just wearing us down. I mean, we we sleep with the lights on now. The light is on. Every light is on in the house. Every light. <laughs> you know, paying yeah. double utility bill. Every light is on in the house. Just, that's, just gonna hide. That's, that's how Keith Linda's house is now. Every, unless they turn it off, every light is on. We're sleeping with the light on, door closed, trying to have a shield between us and the hallway and the, and the rest of the house. Doesn't work. They've ripped, they've ripped the doors off our hinges before. So, yeah, that's 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 about it. That's how, that's how they do it. Not a lot of people know this, but when I'm on my own, I still sleep with the light on based on what happened to me nearly 20 years ago. You know, it, it does have – you do have a PTSD, and the best way to cope with this – 
is to do exactly what you're doing and it's to just throw yourself head first into it let's try and understand it let's try and document it let's try and find other people out there let's talk about it let's go on the radio let's write a book the more you talk about it it's almost like the more power you have over it the more control in terms of evidence you know it's very difficult because these things aren't performing monkeys we were talking earlier they don't just say hey keith i'm going to throw a plant pot at 12 o'clock they send you a text message did you ever get anything caught while it was occurring or was it always the after effects i got a few there's a few on my uh, youtube channel of the female apparition uh, and i call it luck it was more it was more luck than my technical skills because I was so new to the paranormal, I had uh, a camera running 24-7 in the kitchen one night, and it's talking about, about hours and about eight hours of video footage, who wants to, who wants to monitor that all day? But um, my friend found it and showed it to me, he's like, hey, dude, around 4.30 a.m., you got a female, a female figure, he didn't use the word apparition, he said female figure uh, materializes in your center living room. And I'm like, eh, whatever, whatever. So I look, and, and sure enough, yeah, you, you see it. And uh, I remember I've seen the apparition in my home with my own eyes, the one who turns off my lights and take off run. I call it a gray lady. But she's captured on video. So that, uh, there's a few other, there's a, a, a good scene that coincides with what we just talked about. Of Me and Tina are laying in the bed. It's midnight or whatever. And we've had so much activity the night before, something just told me to put a video camera tripod in the hallway because every night the spirits would throw the Bible and the candles and the sage stick off the bookshelf. We'd hear all this commotion and come in the hallway and that stuff would be on the floor. So I erected a video camera and turned it towards the bookshelf, but you can see our bedroom door and it's closed. And then the videotape is running, and all of a sudden you hear this loud bang. And you see the door move. The door, something hits the door. It's invisible, but you see the door rattle. And I tell people, if you want to get a glimpse into our world and what our response is to phenomena, turn the volume up and listen to me and Tina being awakened up by that, especially listen to tough, terrified Tina's voices, because Tina heard it before I did or woke up before I did. And we're both almost playing, playing rock, paper, scissors on who's going to open up the door. Oh. And so it was very real. It was very real in that. But the other one is the candles being thrown. Uh, that went viral all over the Internet of three candles hitting the bookshelf in my hallway. Uh, and it was interesting. And I got the candle. You see the candles hitting the bookshelf and you, you can really hear them, too. Oh, man. Very concussion, very loud. But I couldn't retrieve them. It's like they disappeared immediately after they hit the bookshelf. Only one I could be able to retrieve was one. And I know it was three candles because those candles were next to our bedside. There were glass candles that the church left us. And in the video, you see them impacting the bookshelf and the wall, even sizable softball-sized holes in the wall damage to the wall and nothing for skeptics and sinners y'all don't understand we're taking a considerable amount of house damage we did or we had a considerable amount of house damage um nobody in their right mind is going to set fire to a poster and call the fire department 
just to say for attention seeking. That's just that's just who who does that and set two monitors on fire and for attention seeking. Um, and people lose try, they lose sight of that or uh, conveniently forget that that took place because I called the fire department, you know, and they came and they didn't. Not one time did they say, "Oh, Keith did it," because they know they're like, "No, this is this is weird." I know the difficulties of skepticism, which is fine. I don't mind a rational mind examining my experience or your experience and looking for rational explanations. I've often said if somebody can tell me what happened to me and they have a rational explanation, I would very, very happily accept that. So I can sleep with the light off, as I'm sure you would if somebody exactly. said to you, oh, do you know what, Keith? Your house was actually a, a portal to some weird physics event, and this is what happened. Or, Keith, there was some gas seeping into your house, which made you do all these crazy things, but you thought it was happening. You know, I'm happy yeah. with that. I'm happy with that. I wrote my book, and I didn't expect it to be embraced the way it was. I didn't expect it to go on and sell like 60, 70,000 copies. But what people have got to understand is what happened to me me i lost the house which to be honest i'm not worried about i lost my girlfriend i lost my job i became an alcoholic and i tried to take my own life yeah, yeah. that isn't a fantasist that is somebody who's very vulnerable and very broken that has been affected by things they cannot understand and that is why i'm open to if someone out there says you know what i'm very happy to offer you some rational explanations based on my research as opposed to the you know the, the dull people who go what a load of shit i'm yeah, sorry uh, i i didn't see your phd in psychology astronomy and quantum physics when you said that that was a load of shit it's very easy to dismiss stuff until you were put in that environment and then it's difficult because the elasticity of comprehension snaps. You're left reeling, thinking, what is happening to my life? I'm just an ordinary guy. Yeah, and then they want you to be like, well, show me, show me. I can't show you. If I, don't you think if I could show you, I would? <laughs> yeah, you'd be a very rich man. I mean, you'd be a dude, billionaire. I, I, I put it on the road. I mean, hey, we're coming to your town. Be ready. <laughs> it's like, you and of the Tiger I King. Yeah, me and the poltergeist and the burnt Bibles will be in your city, you know. Coming soon to a theater near you. Of course, I mean nobody. Ah, oh, it's just I just shake my head at it because I just you can't. There's no rationale or reason. It just those people I just ignore. I'm like, hey, hey, I, I can't show you. All right, I can't even show myself. I can't rewind my Bible being thrown. I can't rewind it. Poltergeist is not going to say if I say do it again. It's not going to do it again. It's like, oh. So there is an actual report on your experiences or the case as a whole by the Scientific Establishment of Parapsychology. What did they discover in their findings? So Steve Mara, a parapsychologist Steve Mara and uh, his chief researcher at the time, Don Phillips, um, they flew over from the UK uh, January of 2016. And I had found Steve because at that time I was reading books on Portuguese, trying to put a name to my experience. And his name was at the bottom on a lot of the books I was reading. So I, I just emailed him and sent him mass photos and videos of my experience, and he caught wind of it. And they put me through a whole rigor mortis interview process. They vetted me, filtered me, psychologically analyzed me. And then finally they came in January 2016 and said, we want to come, we want to live in your house, we want to document the phenomena if it's still happening. And I, and I was gung-ho, I was like, yes, well, how soon can you get here? Yeah. And they came, and they lived a week. The first time they came, they lived, uh, uh, I think, seven days, seven and a half days uh, from the U.K., and they stayed. 
and then um, their minds were blown. The, the amount of data, the phenomena, the evidence that they were capturing. And Steve has his own book, Fires and Whispers. He has his own book about the Bothell House. And um, they brought Nick Kyle uh, from the Scottish Psychological Research SPR organization from Scotland. Nick Kyle came in April with them. And they stayed long. They stayed a week and a half and documented, got EVPs, quality stuff. They picked up the shadow figures that I've been reporting, seeing out the corner of my eye. They got all that stuff. And, yeah, he came out with the 60-plus uh, page comprehensive report, which I suggest uh, people read. Um, and I'm always asked, you know, by those of, you know, well, why, why did they get stuff and Ghost Adventures didn't get anything? And I tell people, I mean, Ghost Adventures wasn't there. They didn't live in the home. They were only there five hours. And Steve Mara and them came and lived in the home for two and a half weeks. Yeah. Um Time is on your side the longer you can stay at a location. And even then, that's not guaranteed because these guys travel halfway across the world, across the ocean. The Portuguese could have been well within his rights to say, I'm not doing nothing. You guys just hope you like freaking flower miles because I'm not giving you nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But they and their methodology, I notice, is different at night and day than the average ghost hunter on TV is Steve and Dawes' methodology they don't run into the house chasing things. They don't run saying, come out, come out wherever you are, show me, or they didn't come in with their chests puffed out like, oh, the ghosts are in trouble now, I'm here. They don't do that. No, they go in, they got a well-orchestrated plan, it's very detailed and choreographed, and they follow it, and they are very attentive to the reaction coming from the house. And they had to switch midstream and Steve talks about it cleverly in his book when they started having their own cameras being manipulated. They had to reorchestrate or replan or re-strategize because they were having the same problems I was, which I was getting danged up the head by critics as, ah, you never have stuff on video. And I would tell them, it's not because of the lack of trying. They manipulate my equipment. Well, Steve and Don had the same experience with their equipment and pivoted their investigation elsewhere to go after the spirits a different way. And it brought tremendous uh, results. And that's the report you mentioned uh, over 434 EVPs, uh, class A, class B EVPs uh, that they got. A lot of it with Irish accents. There's a reason for that, for the city of Bothell. Uh, The wall writings, they, they, they studied that, analyzed that. The black oil, the yellow oil. Uh, my walls were leaping yellow substance, oily substance, and both upstairs and downstairs, which is not unknown to Portuguese phenomena. So, yeah, it, it was very good for them to come up to me. And the, and the final um, classification Steve was saying is there's so much evidence of Portuguese activity here. However, uh, there's also evidence of residual. We're catching a, lot of, a large amount of residual activity. We're catching a lot of what they call stone tape theory. Yeah. Uh, and it just seems some of that, but definitely Portuguese sits at the top of it all. What what blew Steve Mara's mind was, you know, the current belief uh, and, and out there about Portuguese phenomena. I don't necessarily believe it, but it's it's the, it's the going trend right now that all Portuguese cases are related to RSPK, or you have an adolescent teenager or somebody mad or upset or troubled or whatever, and therefore that that, that could be the root cause of the phenomena. Our house had none of that. What made our house interesting is a family like yours 
um, had similar activity five years before me and Tina moved in. Uh, they had similar poltergeist activity. I found them and I uh, was able to talk to the, the, the wife, the mom, and she told me similar things. I never divulged what we were having until she told me what they were having, and it was all, it was all similar. They just moved. They didn't tell anybody. They just moved. They broke their lease, and they were out of there. Um, but she said, like I said, it destroyed their marriage. She said they divorced in the home. Her son saw shadowy figures. So Steve Merritt, after interviewing and taking all those notes, combining with his own and my statements, they say it just really brings a new feather into the Portuguese category because you got objects missing, you got a port, asport, teleportation, you got the wall writings, uh, you got the mystery substance, the oily substance, uh, you got dimes raining off your ceiling. I had dimes raining down my ceiling. You got objects being thrown, wrappings, loud bangs, footsteps, all typical Portuguese characteristics. And you got this family five years before you have a similar activity. So they, they we think it's linked to the land. It was it was the land because a lot of the wall writings were done in Native American language. Uh, the black wall we came back was bone black, a.k.a. bone char, mm. which is incinerated buffalo bone. We don't know where that came from. It's, it's a large quantities of it, as you can see from the, the, the office itself and all the wall writings. But it just makes it more interesting and more fascinating from a researcher's point of view as to, yeah, Keith didn't write that on the wall. Uh, the black wall is organic. It's not paint, like some critics like to suggest. Um, and it's buffalo bone. Well, I couldn't find a buffalo for my life depending on right. If you told me to go find a buffalo <laughs> right now, I wouldn't know where to go, let alone find incinerated buffalo bone. And so where did, so all this stuff is there. And this is all very far because, like I said, we had it analyzed, and I still have the door. Uh, with a black wall on it, um, and I put the offer out there in both books. If anybody wants to test the door themselves, go for it. Um, but nobody has stepped forward, not even skeptics. They, draw, they, they stop at that point. They, they stop. You know, Seattle's all of a sudden too far away. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I'm not going to ship it to you. No, you're going to come here. And <laughs> my door. I'm not sending you my door. Come here. Put your, yeah, put your curiosity, your skepticism where your mouth is. But anyway, so, yeah, so it was localized, listed as a localized intelligent haunting uh, with the caveat that there's definitely Portuguese manifestations uh, here. What you don't know is included in the second book is I have phenomena follow me to my new location of the water puddles dripping from the ceiling, from a dry ceiling uh, on day one of me moving into my new location. Uh, I was hearing a tapping noise constantly as I was checking the email, and I looked up and I saw water coming down from the ceiling onto my kitchen table. And I immediately called the building maintenance guys because I wanted them to document. I knew what it was because I, I seen this in our, in our old house. But I wanted the maintenance guys' reaction, and I wanted their official documentation. And they troubleshooted it for an hour, couldn't find no root cause. And I remember what the maintenance guy said because he put his finger on the on the water on the ceiling, and he said it's dry. He said it's dry. And when I did my own, because for my for my third book, I'm talking about the physics of it. Every poltergeist case that I find dealing with water puddle or mysterious liquid appearance, you can find that quote in everybody's storytelling. The surface was dry. Water is dripping from a dry ceiling, a dry location. It makes no odd sense whatsoever. And then when he said that, I was like, wow. Yep, that's how you know. So it's followed you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have remnants. I don't have anything to the scale that I had back then. 
the only thing I do have now, and I don't know if you experienced this, but I experienced this tremendously in the Bothell home and even when I was traveling on business and hotel rooms, is the poking and prodding while sleeping. Fuck like, no. I'm so glad I haven't had that. <laughs> well, trust me, you don't... My you ex don't... got pulled out of the bed. She got pulled out of the bed by her ankle. And this was way before films like Paranormal Activity. And she got pulled out of bed. And I was like, thank yeah. God that didn't happen to me. See, that's dangerous because you feel them pull you. And I never got pulled out of a bed, but I have, I've had sheets yanked off. They probably thought he's a big guy. No way we're pulling him. But uh, I've had sheets yanked off me in hotel rooms. And I don't mean like, you know, you slide, you just, your sheets just fell off the bed. No, I mean, the sheets are pulled off me and they're on the other side of the room. Okay? So let's just get this idea of the wind or I'm a rough sleeper out the way. No. The sheets are yanked off me. Uh, but the poking and prodding is unusual in the sense of, it's like me trying to get your attention or a kid poking you in your ribcage. Daddy, daddy. And you feel that all night in your shin, your rib cage, your ankles, and then the heartbeats. What listeners are going to hear in my second book are the heartbeats that was coming through my mattress and pillowcase because I went out, and this is in my second place. I'm no longer in the Bothell home. This is me living elsewhere. I went and bought expensive digital stethoscopes. Think One, stethoscopes, and Echo stethoscopes. People can look that up and see how expensive they are, but they're state-of-the-art. And they do a good job. They magnify sound a uh, hundred to a thousand times. And uh, they're, they're, meant for the, they're not meant for the paranormal, which is, makes it better because they're certified out the yin-yang. These, these stethoscopes are state-of-the-art medically certified. They're used by doctors throughout the world. So I bought them and uh, hooked them up. They come with Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, everything you can name, hard drive installed in them, and captured the heartbeats. And I put those heartbeats online, and I, and I have friends who are nurses and doctors, and let them hear them. And they'll tell you, yeah, that's a heart. It's not a human heartbeat, but they say that's, yeah, that's that's an arrhythmic. I can hear the valve chamber, the valve movement, the closing of the valves. Yeah, that's that's something. And they always ask me, where'd you get that at? Where, that's it. Where'd, where'd that come from? Like my bed. And, and they're like, what? They're like They know about my house is haunted, but I, I tell them my bed, my pillow. That's a heartbeat, Keith. That, that's and they're being scientists and doctors or semi-scientists because they're doctors. They're now in a situation of questioning because they know me. They, they, know, they, they know me all my life. They know Keith is not the guy to fabricate anything, and he just brought us heartbeats. He brought the paranormal to our profession. Our profession heard it and vouched the validity of it. And now they don't know what to do with that information because it just blows their mind. It's very frustrating because nobody can really help you. You know, nobody can. Nobody can. No, no. nobody can help you. Because I had people helping me because I knew because it was always talked about, uh, even the teams while living in the Bothell house, you don't want to have this attachment leave with you. When you leave the Bothell house, you want to sever ties, if you will, spiritually. And we tried. I did the cleansings. Um, they work to the sense of things lessen around. I've noticed uh, I'm not living twice removed from the Bothell. I'm not living in, in my third place um, or second place after the Bothell house. Uh, no water puddle, uh, nothing major that I can point my finger at. Um, the bed stuff, yeah, that happens. Uh, the night terror, the nightmares, uh, they've lessened, but they still happen. 
the heartbeats, uh, I would say, happen four nights or mornings out of the week uh, compared to five or six. Uh, and then just ever so often when I'm out and about, I could be on a date because you know, I'm trying to get that life back in order. Yeah. And I'm with a, a female, we're at a, a, a live concert or a restaurant. They'll make something to where my date notices. You know, the, my date, usually on the first date, they haven't Googled me yet. Or uh, like we were at a concert and the glass just slid, just vanished off the table in front of both of us and, and crashed. Under, and we, we, we heard a loud crash and it was obliterated under the table. And my date remember looking at me like, wait a minute, how did it, that didn't slide off the table. That just, that, your glass of water was there and one minute it was not. And then now it's shattered on the floor. And me having seen that in more in my lifetime was trying to dummy up, you know, be quiet. Like, oh, you know, I don't know maybe, you know, it didn't happen the way we, our eyes see it. But then she was so in tune to where she was like, me, the analytical thinker in her came out. She's like, Oh, this hotel must be haunted. There must be some spirits here. Yeah. But then the women always Google my name after a successful date. And hmm. then some find out, you know, I lived in a Bothell house and I never see them again. Others are interested and intrigued. And maybe a two months into our dating, start having phenomena happen at their place. Then they cut it off. They're like, no, I'm not, I'm not bringing it. Cause, and I don't blame them. They, they cut it off. They, they send me text messages of photos of the kitchen cabinets, all doors open or the dogs barking at the corner. He never barked at that corner before or the phantom doorbell ring or the garage doors going up and down. So stuff like that. Then they, they know cause they read the book by then and they're like, okay, they break it off. But yeah, we tried things we've tried and um, you know, I get emails and if it doesn't sound too, you know, like silly or, or something, um, I'll look into it and, and, and try certain stuff. You know, I get all kind of advice, you know, go, go sacrifice a lamb or something. I'm like, okay, uh, I, can't, <laughs> I can't, I don't know where is a lamb grocery store. But so yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. But no, it's just, I'm trying to turn lemons into lemonade. Like I said, with the heartbeats, constant people, researchers and heartbeats are known in maybe 1% of poltergeist cases the uh, Portuguese of Connecticut or the House of Connecticut, if the family had phantom heartbeats in their bed and the paw prints like an invisible animal leaps in your bed with you. So that, but nobody's ever captured it before. You know, it's hard to imagine. And when even Steve and Dawn got their mind blown because they witnessed it themselves when they came, they put equipment on the bed and the equipment got thrown off the bed. Uh, Nikki Novell, I don't know if you know her, she's in the United States, but her team came in and they felt the heartbeats for themselves. You could put your hand if it's happening, put your hand on the spot and you feel that you feel it with your with your hand. But there's no device at that time that no paranormal team has in their repertoire to capture that. So I, that's what made me go out to the medical community and say, in today's age, it's got to be digital telescopes. So, and, and there were and there are, and I was able to uh, to capture that. I can't believe these demons are cock blocking you, Keith. They are, and it is this chapter in my second book I call. Sleepless in Seattle for that very reason. They, <laughs> they are. They, I, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've, you know, I meet a girl online like Match or something, and we exchange phone numbers, and all of a sudden her phone just starts going crazy, and she's sending me like two hundred photos in one second, 
And I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And he's like, hey, my phone is going crazy for some reason. It's just all of a sudden, it's just down. It's never done that before. And then I like, because that happened to me and Tina. Our phones would go crazy. And I know the spirits were rummaging through her, rummaging through the, her phone and all that. Because they travel. They travel through the digital space, through the internet, through the Wi-Fi, through the Bluetooth. Because they're energy. They're energy. Mm. And energy just changes form, and it can manifest relatively easy. There's certain words on my keyboard. If I start typing right now in my book or certain chapters, my keyboard locks up. Certain words, it just it just locks up. Spell check or cap lock or anything. It just it was brutal to get both books out. It was hard to get both books out into the the public because me and the editor was we just my editor was going crazy. He would make changes. I would make changes. We <laughs> correct them, and I would send it back to him. He like hey. Didn't we just make these changes? And like, yeah, dude. I mean, sometimes we just got to cut it off right now because they're going to keep rearranging, and that's what they do. I watched the documentary earlier. It's absolutely superb. How did that come about? And also, how can people see it? People need to see it. As soon as this interview is done, you need to see the video. You need to see the documentary and buy Keith's books because the books and the documentary, you've got an entire case. Yeah. I mean, people can watch the documentary from it's an hour and a half. A lot of Stephen, they go over a lot of stuff. They can do the black oil, the yellow oil. You see the shadow figures in the hallway. You see the woods when Don goes out into the woods. They're in the kitchen. I think Don goes underneath the house. I did not like that when he was under the house. That was. <laughs> oh, I don't like stuff like that. I'm very claustrophobic. That was horrible. I'll do it because I'll take spiders. Washington has some big spiders, and I'm like, dude, I'm not going out of there. Even when I was just trying to be a, a own little investigator myself, I never went out of the house. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm more scared of bugs. Uh uh-uh. uh. And so he went down. He stayed down for about an hour, about an hour and a half. He stayed down there, but and then he went into the woods, and uh. And I, and I tell people who are, you know, 50-50 or don't have all the complete information, because what I've noticed about this story, and this story happened five or six years ago, and it still has legs because people are fascinated about the wall writings. They're fascinated about the burnt Bibles. And I tell them, we have to understand, Portuguese, nothing we've experienced, me and Tina, is outside the norm of Portuguese activity. People seem to get caught off guard or think we're trying to come introduce something that's never been happened before. And I tell them that's false. You have a wrong perception if you think that. Look up previous Portuguese cases the world over. Go as far back as you want to, and you'll see the same thing happen. The same thing. Wall writings. Nobody knows where it came from. Sometimes it's in languages, oblivious to the house occupants, all kind of stuff. And watch our documentary. And you'll see majority of the evidence Stephen Dawn captured uh, parries well to the phenomenon me and Tina reported happening. It just complements it. And they're an independent org or independent body, and they came in, and they were able to pretty much bring validity to a lot of the things we were saying. Um, you're never going to see a Bible burn as an investigator. That's just not going to happen. Um but you can investigate the burnt Bible. You can hold it. You can analyze it. You can test it. You can see the manner in which the pages burnt. You can see 
all kind of things. And there are laboratories that could pull out if there's any foreign substance, like an accelerant to the Bible. And there's none of that. So there's none of that stuff. So I tell people, listen to the documentary, read our accounts, and then go back in time in history and read other Portuguese phenomena. And you'll see, yeah, we, we, we're told a similar story. It's fascinating, but by no way is it the first. You have to experience it to fully understand. It's very easy to doubt and say, no, this is rubbish. But until you're in this surreal environment, you can't compare it to anything else. Now, in regards to the Bothell House, are you in contact with these people? Do they ever contact you and say, hey, hey, Keith, we've read your book. It's our house. It's still <laughs> happening to us. Has that happened? No. I mean, you're talking about the current occupants of the home? Yeah, the current occupants. Yes. No, the husband and wife who moved in are from India. Um, they knew the house was haunted. It's hard not to know in Bothell that the house was haunted because over the international exposure it got. But I I never met them directly, um, and I didn't want to go poking around after I moved out and saying, hey, you guys are having any problems. Um, I'm, I'm easy to find. I'm easy to be contacted. Uh, so they, they, they can do that if they're having anything. One thing Steve Mer said in the documentary, and you probably saw that, is there's probably always going to be low-level phenomena happening in this house. Some people notice and some people don't. If it's low enough to the degree to where you just shrug it off, um, you're fine. Or it may just go docile and stay docile for a while for a period of time. We did find five families lived in the home prior to us which is kind of unusual for a young uh, a young home like that. The house was built in 2005, I believe. So it's already had five families prior to us coming in. We know one family had activity, the one who stayed there in 2008, 2009. But it's possible other families had nothing or had something so minuscule that they didn't notice, or they just left outright. Most people just leave outright at the first sign of, like let's say, when the, when the plant levitated. A lot of people would have moved out right then. I'm, we're gone. We're gone. Pack your bags. We're out of here. Yeah. You know, therefore, they would have never gotten to the level that me and Tina got to to see stuff. So, yeah, I haven't reached out to them. I could tell you what's very interesting, almost from a fate standpoint. I ride a van pool to work. I've been doing that for the last four years at my job. A little carpool van pool. Everybody in my van pool, we all work for the same company. So the driver, one day, we're just talking and one of the guys in the back start talking about my book in the house. And then the driver being the newest member to the van pool wasn't aware that I lived in a haunted house. He asked me, Whoa, you live in a haunted house in Bothell? Really? Where? And I told him where, and he, his eyes lit up. He's like, wait a minute. Whoa, where, where do you live? And I told him the street. He's like, I live across the street from that house. And I kid you not, he lives right across the street from the Bothell house. And I noticed what day, cause I had the keys to the van. I drove to his house to give him the keys, and I was so nervous about driving because I haven't been back, and I was nervous about even driving in that vicinity, and um, I did. I drove, and I, I remember him asking me, do you want to come in for coffee because uh, it was in the morning. I like, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, out, I'm out of here. I was looking right at the house. It was where the only place to park on that street uh, was in front of the house. I, I, I parked like two blocks over and walked to his house because – I was not parking my car in front of my old house. I was not going to, to do that. This is absolutely superb, Keith. You've worked so hard on this and bringing this to light. 
And I can't tell people enough how much, if you're interested in this, which you should be if you're listening to this podcast, you need to read these books. If you enjoyed Haunted Horror of Halford West and books of this ilk, you're going to love this because there is so much detail. It's scary. It's terrifying. But also at the same time, Keith's trying to make sense of it. He's trying to make sense of things that shouldn't be made sense of, if I'm honest. So where can people get your books, Keith? Uh, on Amazon, uh, Amazon UK, Amazon Canadian, Australia, US, uh, the Bothell Hell House, like you said, it's on, it's on there, it's on Kindle, paperback, attachments, the same way, attachments, Portuguese, Washington State, on Kindle, on paperback. Uh, both books are highly interactive. Uh, a lot of what we talked about today are links to YouTube channels and to Steve and Dawn's page, so you can hear some of the voices. These are the voices that they captured not me, so you get an independent perspective. Also, the report is in there. Other things are in there. A lot of my videos are in there of what happened while we were living in the home, as well as other paranormal teams who found evidence. When you hear the loud bangs of certain chapters, because it's going in chronological order, I'm telling. So when you see a chapter that has a link about the loud bang, it's going to take you into that world, put you in that sort of moment or that mode of when it happened to me and Tina, because I want the readers to understand it's not all Hollywood, what you see on TV. It's a little bit, it's a little bit more real, more, more scary, but it's a different type of scare. So it's a terrifying, uh, scary. It's hard to describe, but Hollywood doesn't do it justice. Amen to that. How can you be contacted? There's going to be people listening who've had similar experiences or worried about things happening at their home. How can people contact you, Keith? Uh, please email me. I love emails from all over the world. Like I said, I'm still trying to ascertain and research. My email address, I give it freely, is uh, macudor. It's M-A-C as in cat, Q-D-O-R-2 at gmail.com. macudor 2 at gmail.com please email me with your questions i love to hear them love to hear about your experience compared to my own that's how we learn from each other i believe there's nothing new under the sun these things have happened throughout the world they're still happening right now as we're speaking somebody's experiencing poltergeist phenomena probably that rivals mine or yours it's just i just believe that to be so and they have nowhere to go so if you got something email me show me or have a question definitely email me you're an awesome gentleman keith so what's next for you where do you go next uh book three um halfway through writing draft one i had a schedule because covid is really made me confined to the home so putting that energy in book three um book three is not a non-fiction book it's not going to list anything that's currently happening because there's not much happening uh book one and book two did that very well book three however um, it's going to be equally important, if not more, because I have not found this book out there yet in the, in the Portuguese space that just from cover to end talks about the physics and the mechanics of it. I'm talking about the objects levitating, disappearing, apparition, oil, wall writings, everything that Portuguese are known for. You know, you always hear the terminology defies the laws of physics or defies the laws of gravity. So my question to myself and to the world, and it's going to be in this book, book three, is is there existing theoretical physics that lends itself to some of this? You know, we talk about dimensions and portals and all that. Well, if you listen to Lisa Randall, who's a theoretical physicist, 
and traveled the world, and she's offering different theories about string theory and portals and whatnot. She talks about those hidden dimensions, and a lot of what poltergeists do seem to be like they're throwing, operating from a higher tier of dimension or lower tier. You know, it's like it's the ultimate throw a stone and hide your hand type deal because you see objects being thrown, but you don't see the hand that's doing the throwing. So where is that stuff originating from? And that's what this book is going to be about, as well as the spontaneous fires. I think I have a good sound theory of how poltergeists are performing these fires, like myself and others have talked about, that just poof, erupt, erupt you know, all of a sudden, and there's no buildup whatsoever. It's just random abruptness. But I think physics can lend itself to some of that and these spirits are the masters of it they've perfected it. like you and i we perfect riding a bike or skating or walking they have this ability and they're perfectionist at it whereas we have limitations but they have perfections at it i agree totally with that and in my book i went down the route also of dimensional beings that have more control over elements of physics that we haven't even thought about yet you know it's like trying to explain to a rabbit why you're going to put something in the microwave totally different understanding of how things work exactly exactly i don't know i don't know if that was your side or my side but there was like a really strange intense uh shaking and banging um and i don't know if that it wasn't my side and i, don't I know thought if that was your side. side i heard that i thought that was your side it i happened. thought it was your side oh keith i hope you don't set something on me now right keith you're an absolute amazing gentleman everyone this is keith alinda the author of the Boffle hell house poltergeist of washington state and i cannot stress enough if you even have a modicum of interest in the paranormal you need to read these books and you need to check out the documentary you need to see it they've taken a scientific approach to this and the evidence they are recording what are they seeing what are they experiencing is all done scientifically this is science these are people looking for rational explanations and the amount the quantity of evidence is just mind-blowing and fair dues to you and the team that went in so keith before we go please could you leave our listeners with a final thought uh my final thought for anybody out there who still may have suspicions or doubts is like you said read the books read the documentary um if you don't want to go that route just go online to youtube where the information is readily available and free and let's keep it maintain an open mind till after you've reviewed the material i'm not asking you know to join me on some crusade or whatever but i think you'll find the information if you study it uh, objectively um, it's going to change your opinion about the paranormal. It really is. It's going to make you be more inclined to not just disavow it as all hoaxy. You're, you realize people have real stories and real experiences. They're not always perfect in telling them, but the evidence is going to speak for itself. Just give it a shot. Everyone, this is Keith Linder. He's an incredible guy. The author of the Boffle Hell House, Poltergeist of Washington State. Keith, thank you so much for your valuable time. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much for giving me goosebumps, flashbacks, and no doubt a sleepless night. Hey, <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Thank you. That was good.
the international chart topping haunted horror of haverford west has been described as terrifyingly real a must read shocking and chilling brilliance genuinely worrying and chilling utterly frightening don't read before bed described as one of the spookiest writers out there best-selling author gl davies presents haunted horror of haverford west the true paranormal account that is shocking the world dare you enter dare you read haunted horror of haverford west is available on amazon barnes and noble kindle and wherever books are sold pray you never have to live there